Hello everyone and welcome back. This is part two of myth-busting female genitalia mutilation, where we dive deeper on some misconceptions surrounding FGM. If you didn't listen to part one, make sure to do so for a bigger picture of the situation. As part one, this episode is based on the work of the Concentrated Strategies for Fighting Female Genitalia Mutilation, the Group for the Abolition of Female Sexual Mutilation of Belgium, and the NFGM European Network, and their curation of 13 different myths and misconceptions on mutilation. Please, as usual, check out the link to this booklet in the podcast description for the full work. The first myth of today is women who have undergone female genitalia mutilation experience no sexual pleasure. FGM is an attack on women's external sexual organs, and the practice can therefore have consequences on sexual health, such as pain during sexual intercourse, tears linked to infibulation, and difficulties in feeling pleasure, or even its total absence. But these facts can lead to incorrect ideas, such as that women cut can never feel sexual pleasure, or that women who are not cut only think about sex. This is fascinating because people who are not affected by FGM and those who are originating from communities that practice it can both share these ideas. Although women who have undergone FGM do experience sexual difficulties, this is not true for all. Some women who have been cut are happy with their sex life. And sexual problems can affect anyone whether they've undergone a mutilation or not. And this includes men. For women who suffer from sexual problems following mutilation, psychological, medical and sexological support, with or without partner, can enable women to enjoy their sexuality. Often, great importance is put on the absence or presence of the clitoris, the only human organ specifically designed for human pleasure. Although there are many different types of FGM, we should remember that all women keep the majority of their clitoris intact, since it's not only the external and visible part, but measures between 8 to 12 centimeters long and extends into the body around the vagina. During a clitoridectomy, only the external part of the clitoris is removed. In addition, we must not forget that the human body has other erogenous zones. In discovering all of one's body, a person can learn different ways to attain pleasure. Finally, not all types of FGM include the removal of the clitoris. Women who have undergone mutilation must be repaired. The consequences of mutilation, both physical and sexual, can be treated using different methods. For example, FGM can lead to infections, which have to be treated with antibiotics. Also, an infibulation must be surgically opened to ease the flow of urine and menstruation, allow sexual intercourse and birth. The reversal of an infibulation can have positive effects on women's health, and it is often medically recommended. On the other hand, the reconstruction of the clitoris is another matter, as it not only aims to treat some of the consequences of mutilation, but also repair the body. This surgery involves a, a technique developed by 
Pierre de Fuldes, a doctor in France, at the end of the 1980s. The reconstruction of the clitoris is now practiced worldwide in several countries, and it is done using different surgical techniques. This intervention aims to externalize and reposition the internal part of the clitoris to reinstate its nerve function. Surgery allows some women to find or enhance clitoral sensation, but it's not an obligatory path to attain a satisfying sexual life, nor a miracle solution for sexual problems. It is a relatively recent technique, and the potential advantages are hotly debated in the medical circles. Sexuality is not just a physical matter, but an emotional one too. This is why it's vital to tackle sexual problems from a multidisciplinary angle. Not only medically by repairing the clitoris, but also through psychological and sexological support. In Europe, several countries do offer multidisciplinary support and help for women living in lifelong consequences of FGM. Cosmetic surgery on genitals has nothing to do with genital mutilation. Girls and women are exposed to numerous images of what a woman should be. But different societies also have different expectations about the anatomy of genital organs, which do not always correspond to the real or natural one. In order to be able to live up to these expectations, women and girls sometimes decide to subject themselves to cosmetic surgery to modify their genitals. This may include labioplasty, which is the reduction of the outer or inner labias and or the clitoral hood reduction. The hymenoplasty, which is the reconstruction of the hymen that allows women to have a second virginity, as well as operations to narrow the opening of the vagina. These forms of plastic surgery can be compared to mutilation in different ways as they are generally practiced for non-medical reasons. Women themselves may ask for these cosmetic surgeries, encouraged by the social pressure brought on by the image of the ideal vulva, or the obligation to be virgin before marriage. We can weigh heavily on women. These aesthetic reasons and societal pressure can play a role in choosing cosmetic surgery, as in the case of female genitalia mutilation. Surgical interventions on genitals can also lead to complications, such as bleeding, infection, and pain. The World Health Organization describes mutilation as all procedures involving partial or total removal of the external female genitalia or other injury to the female genital organs for non-medical reasons. Cosmetic surgery can very easily fall into this category. Also, the strategy of medicalizing the traditional forms of mutilation comes up against a strong resistance. Surgical interventions on the vulva, for purely aesthetic reasons, are legal and are becoming more commonplace in Europe. We then could question why the World Health Organization is remaining silent on the issue of labioplasty, while vehemently opposing female genitalia mutilation, why are these practices acceptable in some contexts, but considered mutilation in others? We could go a step further and say that FGM laws in Europe are based on a double standard. Can an adult woman or a surgeon be punished based on their ethnicity or the origin of the patient? 
why do Western women have the freedom of individual choice, but women of other origins cannot consent to the same type of intervention? Can an adult woman from FGM practice regions go through a medical intervention on their genitals for cosmetic reasons, in the same way her neighbor can? Or would one be called uh, genital mutilation and the other one plastic surgery? This is just food for thoughts. This next chapter will remind you of a previous episode, if you listen to it, about the husband's stitch. If you didn't, I highly encourage you to listen to it after this one. It's number three. In Western societies, women's genitalia are treated with respect. Many women go through surgical interventions on their internal and or external genitalia throughout their lives. And they're often performed during pregnancy or childbirth. Healthcare professionals can decide to carry out these interventions with or without the consent of the patient, provided that they're medically justified. Perinatal statistics comparing European countries show that from a country to another, there are large differences in number of interventions, such as C-sections and episiotomies. This opens a debate on to what extent these procedures are medically justified. Patients and healthcare professionals are beginning to condemn what they see as obstetrical and gynecological violence. In the book, Le Livre Noir de la Gynécologie, the Black Book of Gynecology, of Deschalotte from 2017, women speak out about being mistreated by healthcare professionals in France. These mistreatments can occur before, during, or after labor, in relation to assisted medical reproduction, after a miscarriage, or during a simple checkup at the gynecologist. And they may include sexist or discriminatory comments, neglecting a patient's pain or complaining when they express it, as it counters the idea of the silent birth, overlooking the wishes of the mothers-to-be, vaginal or anal touching without the patient's consent, rape, misinformation, disrespectful behavior, refusal to provide contraception, unjustified hysterectomies, that are the procedure that removes the uteruses from a woman's body, and unnecessary C-section and episiotomies. All of this can result in short and long-term physical and psychological sequelae for some women. Since the 1990s, some authors have started drawing parallels between episiotomies and female genitalia mutilation. In fact, a debate article in the prestigious medical journal The Lancet stressed the negative consequences of episiotomies compared to natural tears, and the lack of evidence of its supposed benefits. The author also recalled the important role of the journal in combating the practices of clitoridectum in the UK in the 19th century. In fact, authors argue that episiotomies can be compared to mutilation in several ways, since it became a part of a Western birth ritual, which marks the passage from the state of girl to mother in the flesh, just like FGM, if you think about it. The consequences of mutilation and episiotomies can also be very similar, such as severe pain, loss of self-esteem, pain during intercourse, lower libido, or depression. 
Moreover, episiotomies can result in the section of the nerves of the inner part of the clitoris as well. Women who have suffered vaginal tears or an episiotomy due to labor also frequently need stitching for the perineal area. A second obstetrical abuse comes to light, which can be easily compared to mutilation at this point. The previously discussed husband stitch. It refers to a doctor making an extra stitch when repairing vaginal tears or an episiotomy to tighten the vaginal opening and supposedly increase the sexual pressure for the male partner. Women have testified the negative consequences of this husband stitch on their sexuality and are calling for it to be abolished. Practicing female genitalia mutilation in an hospital reduces risks. Carrying out female genitalia mutilation in a hospital environment is sometimes considered to be a way of reducing the risk of infection and hemorrhaging. And it is called medicalized female genitalia mutilation. It is a strategy for the least worst option. The practice of mutilation is still very widespread in countries such as Guinea, Somalia and Egypt. In these countries, the norms surrounding the practice 